Hey guys, today on the podcast, we have Davey Blackburn. He's an author, speaker, podcaster, and coach. Um, his is a story of tremendous, tremendous loss. He shares um, about the awful day where his pregnant wife, Amanda, was murdered in their home. He walks us through um, what he went through that day, the days after, and then in the years following, how he has picked up the pieces and it's just such a good reminder. This episode, he says so many beautiful things and it's such a good reminder of how we can use um, tremendous, tremendous pain and repurpose it and use it to help other people. So stay tuned. Davey, welcome to So What Else. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Caitlin. Yeah, I'm really excited to interview you, actually, because um, so the, today an episode just came out of my podcast with Rachel Henry. Yeah, and okay. that's how I found out how you were because when gotcha. I was prepping for my interview with Rachel back over the summer, yeah. I obviously was listening to other interviews that she had done. I came upon your podcast. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has an incredible story. So I really, you know, I've now been listening to your podcast a ton. Oh, cool. um, and so I was really excited to get to chat with you. And Rachel um, said wonderful things about you on our oh, episode. Oh, we love the Henrys. Yeah, they're she amazing. She is just lovely. I said, yeah. I was like, if we lived closer, I would totally <laughs> hang out with you. Like, she's so yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you guys aren't too, I mean, they're what they're in like Maryland area now or something. Right? Yeah. So and they're so, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I'm Pennsylvania, Jersey okay. and I'm really West Jersey. So okay. we are pretty close to pretty Pennsylvania. Close. Yeah. Mm. So I was like, okay, like you're actually not that far. So, right. right. um, That's yeah. Awesome. So it was really nice getting to talk to her and it's cool just that, you know, her, just all the connections there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's crazy how small the world is in God's kingdom. Right. Oh my gosh. It's like everybody, it's kind of that Kevin Bacon rule. Yeah. You know, the yes. everyone's, one arm's degrees. length away, seven degree, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Especially when it comes to, you know, those Jesus people, we're just, it's like, that's the way the Lord is connecting everybody to build his kingdom. And you just find out how small the world is. Absolutely. My husband jokes about that all the time. Cause he says that like he grew up in Colorado and mm -hmm. now we're here in Jersey. So I'm from Jersey. So when we came back out here, um, my husband's like, I feel like actually everyone in Jersey is like either related or they've dated each other. <laughs> and you're like for in the church world, that's a hundred percent correct. 100%. Like, everyone yep. is either yep. related or you're like, Oh, you dated my best friend's cousin. <laughs> like everyone knows it's just weird. Oh yeah. And then it gets even crazier when you get into de denominations. So I grew up Wesleyan yes. and the Wesleyan denomination is super small and it's, mm -hmm. It almost feels cultish. It's not obviously, but it feels that way because everybody knows everybody. Yes. And there's like, you know, so you know certain people's names. It's almost like the mafia of the, mm. you know, denomination. You're like, oh, totally. you're the okay, you're related to so and so, you know. Yes. It's no, so totally. Funny. <laughs> yes. And I grew up as a pastor's kid. And then okay. my husband was a pastor for a while, but like my dad's cousin was a pastor, my uncle was a pastor, like all in New Jersey, different denominations. Oh, yeah. And so people would be like, Oh, we're going to a conference at such and such. And I'd be like, Oh, that's my uncle's church. And yeah, you're like, right. what? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you know every pastor in New Jersey? Uh, and I'm like, I don't know. There's kind just, of, just, yeah, yeah. We all eat Thanksgiving of. together, so it's whatever. <laughs> exactly, 100%. <laughs> That's awesome. So for people who haven't heard your name before or maybe haven't heard your podcast or don't know who you are, can you give us just a quick like intro of who you are? Yeah, so um, I my name is Davey Blackburn. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana with my wife, Christy. 
and our three kids, uh, Natalia, who is currently eight, Weston is seven, Cohen just turned two, and uh, we have two dogs, Charlie and Henry. Um, could not be opposites or could not be more opposite. They, uh, one's a great Pyrenees and one's a, a miniature dachshund. So we uh. dog, and they're hilarious <clears throat> interacting with each other, but we lead a ministry. I'm a teaching pastor at a church here and we lead a ministry. Most of what I do is this ministry called nothing is wasted. And it spawned mm-hmm. out of our podcast, the nothing is wasted podcast, where we interview people who have gone through really difficult times, some kind of major you know, trauma, tragedy, or major life transition and, and, and how they've found purpose out of their pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that comes out of purpose that I've found out of my pain. Um, back in 2015, I lost my, my late wife, Amanda, mm-hmm. um, very, very tragically, very suddenly. And, uh, you know, I know we'll talk more about that, but mm-hmm. that, that, that incident was a, was a catalytic incident in my life where it completely upended my life. But then mm-hmm. the Lord met me in some really powerful ways to, to not only heal me, but also to bring me into intersecting other people's stories and helping them to heal mm-hmm. from, you know, crazy, you know, tragedies that have happened in their life as well. So that's, that's what we do full time. Mm-hmm. We, we help people step into healing and mm-hmm. uh, kind of the, the mantra that we say is we want to help you partner with God to take back your story. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some things that have happened to us that the enemy are the enemy that's, that's at bay um, and at work against us in, in the supernatural. He is trying to neutralize us. He's trying to paralyze us. He's going to bring all kinds of different things into our life. That's going to distract us or d- deter us or, or even try to destroy us. And, and yet the, the cross and the empty tomb shows us that Jesus writes a better story. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's what we're trying to help people understand. And Revelation mm-hmm. 12 talks about the fact that we overcome these difficult things that, that happened to us. Ultimately, we, are, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so mm-hmm. I love what you're doing, Caitlin, yeah. and letting people share their testimonies because that's what yeah. encourages people. It helps us to borrow each other's faith when we don't have it ourselves in those moments. Mm, I love and, that. Um, so so yeah, yeah, that's that's what we get to do. It's fun. Every single day, you get to share yeah. share our story and share other people's stories and help people heal. I love that so much. I love how you said we could borrow each other's faith. I think that's so beautiful. You know, um, I think people's stories are just so powerful, you know, yeah. just even from this podcast, you know, when people, and cause you know, we have some lighthearted stuff and then we have some heavier episodes and things like that. But it, even if somebody shares a really heavy thing that they've been through, I've had people reach out to me that say, you know, I have not been through what that person was went through, mm. but their faith was so inspiring to me that I yeah. got something from that. You know, just my episode right. that aired today with Rachel, you know, she went through a, a horrible ordeal right. of being raped in her own home. Yeah. I've never been through that. I left her, that interview. I felt encouraged. I felt yeah. like- yeah uplifted because right. her faith was so amazing. And I felt right. truly uplifted by how the Lord had used her story. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just think it's well, amazing. We often ask ourselves these questions and, you know, we're, could I walk through something like that? Could I, would I still be standing? Would I be able to survive those kinds of things? Especially when we hear tragic instances or we hear about something and, and now we hear about it so much, you know, mm-hmm. because of social media, it's so saturated. So we're, we're hearing all these different things that happen to people. Mm-hmm. And what I love about, you know, this thing that we talked about this on this divine flow of the kingdom is when we hear someone else's story, it gives us the hope to know, wait, if they've walked through this, yeah, then, then God can bring me through what I'm going through right now. And even more mm-hmm. because the, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of each one of us. You know, yeah. there's so many times, Caitlin, that somebody comes up to me and goes, I, there's no way I could walk through what you've walked through. Yeah. And, and I just look at him and go, 
do you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are you a follower of Jesus? Because it's not me that's walking through this. Yeah. It's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The, mm-hmm. the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the, it's the power that Ephesians 3 says is can, can do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. That's the power that heals us. That's the power that flows through us as we walk through this. And what's so great about God is that he gives us the grace that we need for that moment, mm-hmm. for that day. So Absolutely. he's going to give you exactly what you need yeah. in that moment. Absolutely. I mean, um, my brother died very suddenly when he was 28. Mm. And, you know, that was obviously like tragic, horrible for our family. And I remember thinking like, okay, but this is like, this is the only tragedy I I have enough. Like if we can get through this, I don't have anything left in me. Like that's it. And then Mm. a year ago, my mother got diagnosed with a very rare brain cancer. And I Mm. remember having a feeling of like, how can this be happening to us again? Like we can't, we can't go through this again. And then it's so interesting because my sisters and I felt like they, we all had the same kind of experience. We felt like originally we had thought like, we'll never be able to survive this, yeah. right? Like we, we felt like we were still reeling from the death of my brother. And now here we just found out that my mom is, has this rare incurable brain cancer. Mm. And we felt genuinely like a supernatural yep. force yep. carrying us through it, honestly, yep. you know? Right. And it, that doesn't right. mean that it was easy. It's not like I was skipping out the door in the morning. Of course. But I genuinely felt carried through those very, yeah. very, very dark months in a situation where you feel like, you know, if, if someone had told you about that five years prior, you'd be like, oh, I would die. I could never, I could never yeah. get through it. You know what I mean? And then the Lord gets you through it. Yeah. It, this is what scripture calls a peace that passes all understanding. Yeah. It guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to us. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense to us. And this and this is where, you know, without Christ, uh, you know, it's it, certainly you can you can have some tips and tricks and tools that you can utilize in these moments for sure. I mean, it's the common grace of Jesus that, mm-hmm. you know, we can walk through counseling and therapy and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we're really all looking for peace. Mm-hmm. No matter what circumstance we're we're walking in, we just yeah. want to know like, are we going? Is this going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And the only the the only outcome that that is truly where where everything is made right, everything as C.S. Lewis says, everything that was wrong is rendered untrue. Mm-hmm. Right. The only outcome, the only the only storyline that tells us that is the storyline of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the Jesus storyline, right? That, yeah. that one, even no matter what hardship we face on this earth, one day we're going to look at Jesus. It's going to all make sense. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes mm-hmm. and he's going to set it all right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we, that's what we anchor our, our lives in. Yeah. And so what's beautiful about what you're explaining there, Caitlin, is that he expands your capacity to be able to walk through these difficulties. Yeah. You know, he mm-hmm. grows you in these, in these moments. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when we experience loss or hardship or difficulty, it seems like those are the only moments that we really truly grow as a person. Yeah. That like we, de- I mean, I'm talking like deeply grow as a person. Yeah. It's like we, we come out of those seasons and we go, man, God, like I've really been grown tremendously in this. Mm-hmm. And so you almost have this dichotomy of an experience and this paradox where you go, I never would have asked for that. Right. But I also wouldn't trade where I'm at right now in mm-hmm. terms of just the, the, the soul work that was done. Totally. 
who I am as a human being now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the paradox that you live with when you experience loss and you mm-hmm. experience hardship and, and grief. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm especially honored to be talking to you in the month of November because I know that November is a huge month for you um, yeah. just in your story and what you've been through. Um, and so I want to get to that. But before we get to November, I do want you to just kind of take us back. How did you meet your late wife, Amanda? Oh, yeah. Um so we were in we were in college. She was actually she was in high school. So I was a sophomore in college, and um, and I was playing baseball to school in South Carolina, and um, met this guy named Gavin who was a golfer there. And so we hung out with all the athletes. We were on a hallway with pretty much all athletes, and I was still trying to figure out why he was on the athlete hall because he was a golfer. <laughs> so, we're, so we meet, we kind of hit it off and we used to joke around that we needed to go down the street to Clemson university, which is just five minutes down the road right. and, and meet two girls who were best friends. So we could just hang out all the time together. Right. And so we go over it. to Clemson FCA, which is like the largest FCA in the country. And we're trying yeah. to, you know, Christian mingle over at Clemson <laughs> FCA. And, and we leave, you know, freshman year, neither one of us end up dating somebody. He comes back sophomore year, he starts dating this girl that he had dated in high school. And he's like, dude, I don't know why I never thought about this, but you need to meet my girlfriend's sister. You guys would be great together. I'm like, okay, tell me about her. He's like, well, she's really mature for her age. And I'm like, what, what do you mean, mean by that? Yeah. You're leading out with that one. Hold on a second. And so, you know, obviously the age discrepancy, not a huge deal now, but when, when I was a sophomore in college and she was a senior in high school, that seemed like such a big chasm. He's like, dude, just come up and meet her over fall break. You'll love her. So, so I went up to Elkhart, Indiana and met her and we, he had arranged for us to go to this Hawk Nelson concert. And, um, and so we, we meet there and, uh, we have a great time and we end up going to, to steak and shake afterwards, which I believe now wholeheartedly that all great relationships start at steak and shake. Absolutely. There's, I mean, the Frisco melt, it's like the Shekinah glory is in the Frisco (laughs) melt, you know? And so we're sitting there at steak and shake and I'm just, I'm really intrigued. I'm just enamored by this girl. I'm like, man, she comes from this incredible family. This Gavin and my friend was telling me all about, and she's beautiful and she's funny and she's smart. She's witty. And she's just got this really unique personality. And I'm just kind of staring at her. So I crack a joke sitting there at steak and shake. She's drinking a strawberry milkshake. I'm drinking a chocolate one. She laughs. She shoots milkshake out of her nose. Like no joke. Ah! I mean, it's just, and she's like, Oh my God. You know? And I'm, I look at her and I'm like, she's going to be my wife. I'm That's, in love with you. <laughs> I'm in love. I'm, I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I've met the girl of my dreams. And up until that point, I was, <clears throat> I was kind of, you know, I was really focused on my agenda. So I didn't date a whole lot. My mom uh-huh. kind of knew that about me. It was like, my son doesn't really date a whole lot. You know, he'll, fi- he'll figure it out when he gets to college, he'll meet some girl and fall in love. Well, I call her and I said, I met the girl of my dreams. Aww. And she's like, who are you? And what have you done with my right. son? And like I'm like, no, I'm telling you, you got to meet this different. girl. And, and we fell hard and fast. I mean, it was, and we did a long distance dating relationship mm-hmm. um, for the next two and a half years or so. Mm-hmm. We ended up getting married in August of 2008 in a double wedding. I know that. I was going to ask about that. Yep. And, and her sister. And it was just a really cool experience. You know, their dad's a pastor uh, in Elkhart, First Baptist of Elkhart. Um, And so we had this wedding at First Baptist and the whole town, it feels like, comes out to... So just see, I mean, I think most people were just intrigued, like what's a double wedding look like, what totally. do you do, you know? And so it was just a really beautiful experience. And, um, and so, you know, that's how we met and fell in love and dated. And, 
you know, there were some things about her that just really, I'll say this one, Caitlin, that really made me know that I was, I was marrying the right girl, that, that this was, this was the girl that God had for me shortly after we first started dating. So we started dating in October, that next um, Lent season. Mm-hmm. So a couple months later, I mean, we're not Catholic, so we don't typically give things up for Lent, but she called her youth pastor. Remember, she was a senior in high school. Her youth pastor preached this message about giving up something for the next 40 days for Lent, Mm -hmm. just as a practice of spiritual discipline of sacrifice. And she's like, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of addictions that I could, you know, chocolate or anything like, I'm like, so the only thing I could think of, she calls me, the only thing I think of to give up is, is you for 40 (gasps) days. And I'm like, wait, what? No, thanks. Like, yeah. We're a long distance dating relationship. You know, this is like, all we have is talking on the phone and we can't, you know, and yeah, I was, I was like, what are you kidding me? You're like, you know, here's this, I thought it was the new Christian way of breaking up. Yeah. 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 Totally. It's not totally. you. It's me kind of thing. Yeah. It's God told me. Yeah. yeah you know, I just give it up for Lent and then it just yeah. kind of fades away after, mm-hmm. you know, and, but over the weekend, as I processed it, I was like, you know, I, had, I called my cousin, my cousin goes, Davey, who is, what is, what is the one thing that you have wanted in the girl that you end up marrying? And I'm like, I don't want to hear anything practical right now. I'm frustrated about this. He's like, come on, talk to me about this. I said, well, I, I wanted to love Jesus more than she loves me. Mm. And he goes, sounds like you found your girl. Uh, He's like, you think you can wait for 40 days? I'm like, yeah, I think I can. So wow. 40 days later, you know, we started back dating, but that's, that's how I knew. And that's, and that sums up Amanda, that, that sums her up. She was passionately, madly in love with Jesus. You're not going to meet another person Mm -hmm. that had a more robust love affair with Jesus than she did. And it's evidence in the fact that now I have volumes of journals that she was in her prayer journals. Oh, really? Oh. And after she passed, I, I got to read and, and just got to see a little bit more of an insight of her, or just love for the Lord. Yeah. And, um, it flowed out of everything that she did. If you, you know, if you talk to anybody that knew her, there's not a single person that didn't love her. Yeah. And, and, you know, even if they didn't like her, they loved her because yeah. she just, the only reason they wouldn't like her is because she just loved people so well. She yeah. just served people so well. And, and she always cared, you know, we joke, we joke around that I'm kind of the big extrovert, mm-hmm. big personality. I'm a preacher. And so that's just, kind of the way God built me. And so I'd go into a room and I'd, I'd work the room. People would see me when I sure, go into yeah. a room, but people remembered her mm. when wow. we left because she would, you know, one-on-one, she would just make you feel like the most valuable person in the room. Mm. And, um, you know, that's, that describes her, uh, that's so I beautiful. Can. I love that. I mean, she sounds amazing. And I mean, truly, a double wedding says so much about her. I feel Seriously. like the fact that she would be like, that's great. Like, why, yeah. of course I want to share the day with my sister. Like, it doesn't have right. to be all on me. Like that, right. I feel like right there, that like kind of is a great explanation of the kind of person that she was. Yep, yep. absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And, you know, they were, they were as sisters can be, right? Of course, you yes. got your little tiffs, but they were mm-hmm. best of friends, you uh, know, yeah, all throughout their growing up and, and all the way up until, I mean, even the day before, um, the tragedy mm-hmm. uh, that, where she was killed, they were hanging out together, you know, wow. and going to a play place with their kids together. And so yeah, it's just, yeah. um, I mean, it, it, it's a remarkable family yeah. uh, just across the board, their whole family, just remarkable people. That's amazing. All right. So you and Amanda got married and then you had a baby. Yeah. So we got married and then we actually moved to Indianapolis. We were at a church in South Carolina and God started working on our hearts. We were really in our dream job. I mean, it, 
I thought we'd be at this church for the rest of our life. It was an incredible mm-hmm. church and God was moving in huge ways. And I was a youth pastor there and mm-hmm. the youth group was growing like crazy. The church was growing like crazy. It was just, we're seeing people meet Jesus and get baptized all, I mean, every week you're like, wow, mm-hmm. this is just this huge movement of God. But then God started really working on our hearts over a period of eight months to call us to move to Indianapolis and plant a church, which mm-hmm. we didn't really know a whole lot of people in Indianapolis. We knew a few people from that she knew from high school, but um, you know, it was basically like kind of starting over yeah. in what we would call a parachute drop operation where you yeah. just start to meet people and you start trying to build a, a, a launch team and, and start this church. And so we ended up um, moving and starting that process of planting this church. Um, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anytime you you step in where you don't know a lot of people and you just start meeting people. And so we did everything we could, you know, we're getting jobs at a local school system and mm-hmm. substitute teaching and coaching and anything we could do to meet people yeah, and to just really share the vision of what God had put on our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we, in 2014, we had Weston. Uh, he um, just, I mean, an incredible boy. And uh, it was really a rich time to step into that together and to watch her you know, become a mom. It was, it was really cool because what she was doing, she was nannying two boys all the way up until this point. And so it was cool to watch her with these boys. Yeah. But then always, you know, projecting then and going, okay, this is going to be so cool to see her as she's raising our, our young, totally. our little boy. And, um, and so, you know, Weston was 15 months old, mm-hmm. uh, on the day that, that Amanda was killed, mm. but we got to see 15 months of her just really raising him. And, and she was just an incredible mom. Yeah. Incredible mom. <sighs> so, um, Amanda got, so you were pregnant. She was pregnant with her second child, mm. correct? Right. Okay. So, so you guys are living in Indianapolis. You're planting a church. Mm. Um, you have a toddler. She's pregnant with your second baby, early pregnant. Yeah. She was 13 weeks along. Okay. Yep. I remember, um, I don't know if I read it. I just remember um, hearing or reading that you and Amanda both in those early weeks of her being pregnant with the second baby felt like a heaviness and you, and you kind of felt like, I don't know if maybe like God's preparing us that like, she's going to have a miscarriage or something like that. Can you kind of talk to me about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we, in fact, in one of our journals that she wrote, you know, something to the effect of how, how crazy it was that our family had never experienced any kind of big tragedy. Mm. And I think God was kind of priming her. Yeah. And we, we went on this walk and she shared with me, she was like, I just feel like that God's preparing us for some season of pain. And, and I had been feeling the same thing. I had been, I had recently stumbled across um, Levi Lesko, Pastor Levi yeah. Lesko. I had listened to a message that he preached and it just, it captivated me. The way mm-hmm. that he communicated losing his daughter Mm-hmm. And what God had done in their hearts through all of that. And I just was going, man, I can't imagine this. And there'd been some other things, you know, a year that, that year that kind of some things that people had said over, it's kind of spoken over us that was like, huh, you mm-hmm. know, like that's, that doesn't, you know, that sounds painful. That sounds hard. Like, I don't know yeah. if I want to receive that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know where your listeners are on all of that you know, the spectrum of spiritual gifts and all that sort of deal. But there were some kind of what I would consider some prophetic words that were spoken over us. Yeah. And, um, and so I had been sensing the same thing, you know, and in fact, on this walk, I was like, you know, we need to listen to this message from Pastor Levi. And I remember her articulating 
you know, I, I think that whatever God has for us, I'm, I'm prepared for it because I know it's going to help us to minister to other people. Mm. Now, obviously you don't know anything about what's going on, but that was kind of our hunch was like, well, what painful thing could happen? And she had been, one of the things too, that I just, it kind of just dawned on me. She had been on her Facebook feed, seeing a lot of stories of miscarriages. So I think mm. she felt maybe that's what God was preparing her for. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we never, I mean, nobody could see coming what, what happened. Um, no. it's, it's one of those things where it's so what, so at some point, I'm not sure exactly the date yet, but I have a book that's going to be released called nothing is wasted. And, mm-hmm. um, what I write about in the book is that almost it's so random and coincidental mm-hmm. that you know, that it can't be coincidence. Yeah. Right. You, and you mm-hmm. have to kind of go either life is a string of random coincidences. And if that's the case, what is the purpose of life mm-hmm. or everything in life flows through the hands of a sovereign um, God who is orchestrating everything that happens uh, according to this divine purpose that he has for everybody. Yeah. Not to say that he causes things to happen. Right. right? Not not to say that, but to say that as he allows things to happen, Mm -hmm. he already has a plan to turn those, you know, horrific things that happen in our life to turn those around. Yeah. And that's what, for us, I mean, it's like, you don't see this happening. And so on November 10th, um, it was supposed to be a t- normal Tuesday morning. I would wake up early. I'd go to the gym. I mm-hmm. would normally shower at the gym. And then I would go and get started on message prep. That was my day to, to write messages. And I'd go to a Starbucks and write. And, mm-hmm. um, and that day, I forgot to pack my bag. And um, I was, you know, as someone who's an, and I'm a, I'm a three on the Enneagram. So I'm a driver. I'm ambitious. Yeah. I want to maximize my time. I remember being frustrated, like, man, I forgot to pack my bag and I'm totally. totally going to go back and shower and all this kind of thing. And, and I'm really, really, again, these are these providential things. I'm really grateful that, that that yeah. was the case because yeah. <clears throat> for a number of reasons, but I get back and I walk into my house and, um, and I see my absolute worst nightmare. Amanda is, is lying on our living room floor. Um, and she's face down. Um, she has blood all around her and, you know, in, in those kinds of, these kinds of moments, they just, you, you have no idea how you're going to respond in these moments. These are like this, the fight, flight, or freeze traumatic moments. Um, but I remember very clearly, uh, things kind of going in fast motion and slow motion all at the same time. Like this, this, this precision in, in in acuteness in certain things. And then other things just kind of fading in the background. Right. Mm-hmm. Like my mind begins picking up on all these details of the room. Yeah. That now I can't believe I recall, you know. Yeah. But then also some things I just don't, I don't have a clue about that people tell me, like, hey, here's what was, you know, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. And that's trauma. You know, as you learn, Absolutely. as you untangle it later, that's you start to learn that's what your brain does to in trauma to help you survive. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember dropping my headphones, rushing to her side, trying to turn her over. And her, her breathing is extremely laborious. She's unconscious. And I remember just, I, okay, I, I, I just need to sit here and not, t- I, I don't want to touch her. I don't want to, you know, right. what could be happening. But all I could think of was we just miscarried the baby. Okay. We just miscarried the baby. But, but in that moment, nothing made sense to me. Right, right. It was like, why is she, like, why is she on the living room floor? 
Why is this ladder knocked over? Why is this lamp knocked? Why are credit cards strewn all over the place? And so I'm calling the, you know, the, the, the paramedics calling 911 and I get off the phone with them. And I remember feeling so helpless in that moment, Caitlin, that I didn't know what else to do. And so I call my dad. Mm. I don't even know why I called my dad. I mean, later mm. looking back and I'm like, maybe it, it felt like to me it was, I'm crying out for somebody to come and just like sit, rescue in this situation. Of course. Know? Even while I'm on the phone, I go, dad, I, I don't know what's going on. I just found Amanda. I need you to pray. And then I didn't, I don't even remember saying goodbye. I just hung up because I felt so like, oh, he can't help either. Yeah. Yeah. Just feel so helpless in this situation. So it felt like I'm waiting for the paramedics for like three hours. It really mm. only took three minutes <sighs> for them to get there. And they attend to her. Now, while I'm sitting there, I'm hearing Weston upstairs in the crib. So I'm hearing him coo and I'm hearing him. He's awake. Yeah. So there's nothing in my mind that goes, what ultimately happened is that three men broke into my house. Right. Nothing in my mind is telling me that. It's yeah. all something happened to her. She got dizzy, came out of the shower, you know, fell this thing, not this ladder knocked over her. Right. You know, and that's what it cut her. And so if we just, all I'm thinking is if we get her to the hospital, she's going to be fine. Totally. Because after all, I mean, we're, we're pastors. We're following, mm -hmm. we followed God's call. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's this deal that God and I have where, yes. Hey, we're in the center of your will, God, we're doing your work. And so you're supposed to protect us. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Don't tell me why I had that deal, but I think that's the deal that a lot of us have. And we feel like we're impervious to pain. Hey, the burden I'm going to carry God is I'm going to help other people in theirs, mm -hmm. but you better keep us hedged. Oh Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And, and I, man, there was a lot of that untangling that had to happen later. Yeah. But, but that's the reason for why my mindset was at that time. Hey, if we just go to the hospital, she's going to yeah. be fine. She's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. We get her to the hospital. I follow the paramedics there. I'm calling everybody I know, trying to get, you know, I need you to pray, just pray, pray, pray. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in the waiting room and doctors and investigators come in and um, they begin asking me some very invasive questions. And all of a sudden I'm realizing like, this is a lot heavier than what, and that, you know, somehow you could tell their questions shifted. I guess they surmised, like, I didn't know what the heck was going on. Yeah. And they said, they said, Davey, Amanda has three bullet wounds in her. <sighs> said one is, one is in her arm, one is grazed over her back. And then one is in the back of her head <laughs> and the bullet is um, still lodged behind her eye. And again, I'm, I'm sitting here going, but she's going to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it just, it's like, it's not even processing. Yeah. And they're like, maybe we're going to try to operate, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look good. There's so much swelling in her brain right now. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And I just remember grabbing the doctor's hands and praying this massive, bold prayer of faith. Mm. Because at that moment I, I had, determined. I was like, okay, God, you're setting us up for some kind of miracle. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, God, there are people in this hospital. They're believing in science. They're putting their trust in reason. They don't mm -hmm. believe in you. And you're right now, you're going to heal Amanda and you're going to sweep a revival across this hospital. Yeah. And um, we waited around for the next 24 hours until test results came back that there was no brain activity. Mm -hmm. And they, they announced her on, on November 11th, 2000. 15, they announced her officially deceased. And what's, what's crazy about that, Caitlin, that date is that is four years to the day that we, that we moved to Indianapolis. Wow. I mean, I, it was a few days later 
it might even be a few weeks later. Time just kind of blurs when you go through this kind of stuff, as you know, right? You're just yeah. like, I don't even remember what, when was what. Mm-hmm. But I remember vividly seeing a screenshot of our route. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, you put it in maps and yep. the date was November 11th, 2011. <sighs> four years to the day, you know, four years later, Amanda would be dead. And it's just one of those, you know, I look back on it now and, and most people could say like that, those details, that that's evidence of a really sick and twisted God. And I see, I see quite the opposite that it's mm-hmm. evidence to me that God is in the details yeah, and that he has been in the de- details of our life and our lives all the way up to this point. And he's been walking with us in this to prepare us for this. And so that means he's going to walk with us through this. Yeah. And he's going to, he's going to not only heal us, but he's going to use this. Absolutely. So during that 24 hours, you're obviously um, praying for a miracle, expecting a miracle, and yeah. then you don't get it. How do you reconcile that? Um, well, at first you don't. Yeah. You know, at first it's just this like deep vortex of disappointment and anger and where are you, God? And all of the things you see of like a Job questioning mm-hmm. or like, I liken it to John the Baptist, you know, Um I think God really used John the Baptist story to minister to me through all of this. One, because when Amanda and I first started dating, when we were, she was 18, I was in college. Um, we read the book, The Barbarian Way by mm-hmm. Erwin McManus. I don't know if you remember yeah. that book. It was very mm-hmm. popular at the time. And that whole book was about living a life of such purpose that, you know, you would be almost willing to walk and endure sacrifice, like Mm -hmm. that you would be willing for your life to not go the way that you thought it would go. And and it kind of lays out that scene where John the Baptist is in prison Mm -hmm. and he's about to be beheaded Mm -hmm. by Herod. And he's like, wait a minute, are you really God? Mm -hmm. Like, are you really the one that we're supposed to, that we're waiting for? He sends his disciples to ask Jesus that question. Yeah. Here's the guy who was like, this is God. This is the, you know, behold the Lamb of God, like sends all of his disciples to go follow Jesus, right? He yeah. knows his calling is to be the forerunner of Jesus. And then when he is in crisis, all of a sudden it causes those questions to happen. And so you, I don't think you can reconcile it at the moment. Yeah. Because you're asking all those same questions. And that was what it felt like to me. It was like, wait a minute, God, everything I believed about you yeah. now seems false. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is, is I was holding God to, to my expectations mm-hmm. of who I thought he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what I thought he was supposed to do for me. Yeah. And, and, and a, and a God that, a God that, that, that is subject to me is not a God. Yeah. Right. It's something I've fabricated. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, now it, it took months and months and months for me to kind of work through a lot of that and reconcile that. But ultimately what I had to kind of reconcile with is, do I trust God for who he is? Yeah. Rather than what he, do I worship him for who he is? Or am I worshiping him and trusting him only to the extent of what he can do for me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, honestly, that is one of the biggest questions that all of us have to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Because that tells us if we're really worshiping God or if we're worshiping a little G God. And I yeah. I agree with that. Absolutely. There was, there was something, Caitlin, though, that here's the thing. This is what's so beautiful about God. If we open our heart up to him, he shows up in those moments mm-hmm. to assure us, just like we were talking about this peace that passes all understanding. There was something that happened while we were sitting there waiting in the hospital where he just stepped into that hospital room. I'm sitting on either side of the hospital bed with, um, with her sister. Mm-hmm. 
And it's interesting because it was literally the same sides that we were sitting on when Amanda was giving birth to Weston. Mm. And so it's like almost this picture, the same picture, right? But now she's hooked up to all these tubes. She's her, she's being kept alive on, you know, essentially life support. Mm -hmm. And we're just praying and we're crying. And there'd been different, you know, um, uh, moments in that 24 hours where all the family's in and we're singing over, you know, her and we're praying over her. And, um, but in this moment, it was just me and Amber. And I knew that if Amanda could hear anything, if like she was aware of anything that she would want to listen to elevation worship, she'd mm -hmm. want to listen to, you know, so that's what she used to, she used to run with elevation worship. So I put elevation worship on Pandora at the mm -hmm. foot of her bed. Mm -hmm. And as you guys know, how Pandora works, it's very, it's random. Mm -hmm. But the first song that pops up is the song, nothing is wasted. Mm. And it was like, God reached in that moment into that hospital room and Amber and I just look at each other and we started weeping. It's yeah. like, we both knew God was telling us this, this is not going to end the way that you wow. wanted to, Yeah, but I'm not going to waste this. Yeah. And um, what's so interesting about that is what Amanda used to do as a, as a hobby. I always try to get her to turn it into a business, and she, but she just, she just wanted to do it as a hobby. She's every time I'm like, Hey, let's scale this thing. She's like, you're taking the fun out of it now. <laughs> let's just do, but she used to rehab furniture. Hmm. She quite literally believed that nothing was wasted. She'd have yeah. me go and pick up furniture on the side of the road. Yeah. And I'd bring it home and I'm like, what are you going to do with this? And she, I remember the first time I said that she like looks at me and she goes, Hey, she said, trust me, give me a little time. I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. Mm. And she would do it over and over and over. In fact, I think the Facebook page is still live. The it may not be. We we need to probably make it live again. Just but it's a it's called the Weathered Willow. That was her mm. business, her Facebook page. And there's just pages and pages, right, scrolling through the feed of furniture that she rehabbed. Mm. And what's so crazy about that is that I feel like you know a couple of days after she passed, the Lord just assured us, hey, hey trust me. Give me a little time and I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. Mm. And that this whole idea of nothing is wasted, as crazy as it sounds that it, it carried us in the very beginning, it carried us. Of course. This yeah. trust in the Lord that, hey, even when things, as Jesus said, in this world, you will have sorrow. Mm -hmm. Even when things do not turn out the way that we hoped or that we thought that they would, God is already preemptively writing a plan of redemption and restoration. Yeah. There are things that we get caught up because of the brokenness and fallenness of the world, because of sinful people that live, because of all of this, just the fracturing of humanity. We get caught up in this narrative of pain. Yeah. And it's going to happen to us. Mm -hmm. We're going to receive a phone call that's going to turn our world upside down. You're right. But even in those moments, the Lord goes, I've got a plan for this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do something about this. And my ultimate plan is to restore all things. Yeah. And so that's what I mean, the Lord just kind of carried us in those, in those moments. Um, and he, he'll do the same for you if you open up your heart to him. Yeah, absolutely. So the aftermath of that, I mean, did you go back to the house? Like where, where did you live after, you know, did they catch the men? Like what was everything that came afterwards? Yeah. So two weeks later they made arrests. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, we're so grateful for the, um, the local police force here and they enlisted basically and there was FBI working on it. it was everybody that they could enlist. I didn't go back to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't go back for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a spiritual reason for that and a practical reason, you know, practically it was a crime scene for several weeks. And so they right. had to, you know, they, nobody could go in there, but then spiritually I, it, it had a stronghold on me. Yeah. You know, for obvious reasons. Um, so we bounced around and lived with my grandparents for two weeks. We mm-hmm. lived with some friends in our church who had, you know, teenage kids. It's like, it's like I was looking for, for mom and dad. You know, like totally. I need, my parents yeah. live out, out of town. And so they were able to be here for a little bit, but yeah. it's like, I needed, we needed a safe house. Yeah. It was a media frenzy. Um, you know, yeah. there was a couple of weeks that they shipped me down to South Carolina essentially. And they kind of found a safe house for me to just be at the church that sent us up to, to launch. Oh, and wow. They assigned me with a couple of pastors that didn't leave my side. I mean, did not leave my side. And, mm. um, it was, it was wild. We would not have been able to walk through that season as a family without the help of New Spring Church and the team that they sent on the ground and that how they helped us navigate all of that. You know, I mean, people probably saw us, you know, in the news, saw the interviews that I did, but I'll tell you, you know, the, the, for every interview that you saw, we turned down probably a hundred. Mm. I mean, it was just, it was crazy, but we knew that. And I knew there was something about that you know, I grew up a pastor's kid too, mm-hmm. and, and just like you. And, you know, you, you know that there's something going on in the spiritual too when there's this kind of a thing happens. Mm-hmm. And all I could think about was the, I don't even know why this was on my mind, but I kept thinking about, you know, as the media was just barraging us with these requests and stuff, I kept thinking about, this is a moment where Amanda would have wanted the Lord to be put on display. Mm. Because the narrative that the media is going to try to write is one that focuses on the crime and the hate, and the, you know, yeah, right. What if, what if we could, what if we could put Jesus on display? Mm. So from the from her funeral to everything, that was our that was our intent was we want people to see the beauty of the gospel even in the most horrific, tragic thing that that a family could go through, mm-hmm. and put begin to put their hope in Jesus. Mm. Um. And so, you know, I went on GMA and I was able to say Jesus. I mean, you go back and look at that interview, like, I don't recognize myself at all because I'm in just like shock, but right. I'm able to say literally Jesus on Good Morning America like nine times. Yeah, yeah. And they just kept going with it. And I'm yeah. like, this is, and and that's what Amanda would have wanted. Her life, like her life aim was to ring out the gospel. yeah. And to let it be known to everybody what who her first love was. Yeah. And so, you know, we kept kind of, we finally found a, a house here in town to, to station until I could, you know, find another house. But in February of 2016, so three months after, I knew that I had to go back into the house. One, I needed to sell my house. And then two, I needed to, you know, of course, in order to prepare selling, I needed to pack it all up. But yeah. again, I just had this stronghold on me. And so... What I've learned in the process of all of this stuff that will be very helpful to anybody who's listening that has walked through trauma is what we want to do is we want to run as far away from the things that trigger us. Mm-hmm. We want to escape it, numb it, right? But the only way to heal is to face those head on. Yeah. And I, I got a great piece of advice from Pastor Levi Lesko to do that. He and I were texting about 
a month afterwards and he reminded me, you need to run toward the roar. And I won't go through the whole process of explaining all of that, but you can just search run towards the roar yeah. on Google and you're going to find a bunch yeah. of stuff either from myself or Pastor Levi. Mm-hmm. And um, the concept idea is you've got to run toward your triggers, yeah. things that scare you. Mm-hmm. Because because those triggers right now are they are they are a lord over you. Yeah, they have you in a stronghold, and the enemy wants to try to scare you away from the places of healing. Mm-hmm. But the power that lives inside of you as a believer is much stronger than this thing that is scaring you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and the only way that God the the, the way that God invites us into healing is for us to confront those things. Mm-hmm. So that we can see that those things don't have power over us, right? Yeah. That the the power of the cross has broken the grip of the power of that thing, that mm-hmm. trauma. That so we we plan a day to go back to this house, and I without anybody else, I just my dad drops me off, I'm, and I step through the threshold of mm-hmm. the front door, in the same way I did that morning, and put worship music on in my earbuds, mm-hmm. and I just walked straight to the spot that I found her. I laid down and I just wept. Mm-hmm. And um, I just let worship kind of like flow through me. Um, I put on the song, Nothing is Wasted. Yeah. And, um, and, and after about 45 minutes of just walking around the house and weeping and praying and worshiping, there was something that kind of released. Mm. And I can't, I can't describe it other than that. That It was like that, that heaviness just kind of lifted and the way I can describe it is it's like waves of grief and then immediately following waves of grace. Yeah. God mm. just kind of brings a healing salve to your soul when you lean into those triggers and you face those and confront those. And so, you know, for the rest of the day, we were able to walk around and remember and smell and, you know, do all of those things without it just being that like knife gut wrenching, yeah. you know, pain. Um, yeah. Ugh. But you have to do that over and over and over, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. not like a one-time Solve, you know, it's like anytime you feel those triggers, okay, lean into that. That's a that's a deeper invitation. God heals us in layers. Yeah. He's yes. not gonna invite us into the to one momentary instantaneous healing process. We want him to heal and poof, but he heals in process. Yeah. And so so he's gonna invite us into what he knows our soul can handle. Right. And he's like, okay, so I'm gonna here it is. Let's let's face this one right here. And then we kind of work through that one. Yeah, And then, then he's going to invite us into another one. And that's why people say, man, grief just hits you in waves. Yes, it does. Yeah. But if you can reframe your perspective and look at it as like, wait a minute, grief is hitting me in waves because this is God inviting me in waves yeah. into deeper healing. Mm. Oh, right? I love that. Yeah. It to helps us to know this is, there's a pathway here. Exactly. Yeah. There's a pathway here. Okay. So let's lean into this. It's, it's, it's awful. It doesn't, nobody likes pain. Of course. It doesn't yeah. feel good, but but when you can begin to put some purpose in your pain, mm-hmm. then you see pain, this pain, as a means to a greater end. Correct. Yeah. Where we get stuck is where we begin to see our pain as the end. Mm-hmm. We begin to believe things like this is how it's always going to feel. This is what it's always going to be like mm-hmm. now. And that's not true. That There's a better story that God is wanting to write. He's wanting mm-hmm. to invite you into. And... um and, and, and that the portal to that is going, okay, let's lean into this pain. Mm-hmm. Let's go beyond it into purpose. Yeah. So that was a really huge day for you, obviously, huge. going back into the house. Did you um, attend, were there trials for you to attend? That's an interesting speaking? question. Yeah. So as we record this, we're getting ready to step into the jury trial next week. Next okay. week is the jury trial. Yeah. So 
we, so, I mean, in, in real time right now, I have not been in a room in the same room with the shooter who is right. standing trial. Okay. Now I have been to hearings with the other two guys, the accomplices, so to speak. Okay. Um, and man, you know, those, even those hearings just, they just zap you emotionally, right? Just oh, sitting yeah. in that, in those rooms. And so, you know, what, at this point, and again, the legal process is so, I mean, it's, it's a roller coaster. You oh, never yeah. know what's going to happen until the, until the day it's happening. Mm-hmm. But um, at this point, two men have taken a plea agreement to okay. testify against the shooter. Okay. One of those men has been sentenced uh, contingent on his testimony. So we sat in a sentencing hearing with that, with that one, with Jalen. And I had to read a statement and, um, you know, address him. And, um, you know, those again are those like moments where those are, those are moments that are bigger than you and you can't walk in those moments without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know? And, um, so, uh, but, but then, and this is where I would, this is what I, what I'm learning in this, Caitlin, is that the paradigm, the kingdom paradigm that God invites us into if we will lean into his power in all of this is he invites us to be a part of the unraveling of evil. Mm. And the only way that we unravel evil, the only way that we fight against it is with weapons of righteousness, as scripture mm-hmm. tells us. Mm-hmm. It's unconventional weapons. It's weapons uh, like grace, yeah, mercy, forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Kindness. Mm-hmm. It's the way the world would not, I mean, look at all the things that have happened over the past 18 months, mm-hmm. all the vitriol and anger and rage and polarization that's taking place in our, in our world. That's the way of the world. The way of the kingdom is not. Mm-hmm. The way of the kingdom is opposite. It's upside down. It's yeah. walking in these spaces with mercy and grace and forgiveness. And, and when we do that, we begin to unravel mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. Because when we demonstrate and we bring in, we kind of like insert this kingdom thing into the way of the world, then what, what happens is the opportunity for that person, the perpetrator or whatever, <clears throat> to, to step into the kingdom. Yeah. So let me kind of bring it down to just real practical. Like if, if these guys, and this is, I know I've been, people, some people think this is absurd for me to say this, but, but think rationally here and linearly. Like if these guys were to accept Christ as their savior, mm-hmm. To, to experience the power of forgiveness and the transformative like power of the Holy Spirit, right? Who's upset now? Mm. Who's upset? The, the enemy, yeah. Satan, mm-hmm. the master, the orchestrator of all of this. Yeah. You don't think Satan wasn't, orchestra- wasn't orchestrating this, right? Like, of course he was. He's orchestrating evil always. Right. But if they get snatched out of the world and into the kingdom, spiritually speaking, then we just kick Satan in the mouth. Yeah. And the only way we do that is not with flesh and blood, as Ephesians 6 tells us. It's with these, these weapons of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so I would just, as, as we've been walking in, in some of this, like as we've been kind of like just walking in the invitations the Lord has provided, we've tried to think through that lens of going, mm-hmm. what's the upside down kingdom way of approaching this? Yeah. And how do we show Jesus to people? You know, not for our sake, not for our glory, but for Jesus's glory and for the transforming power that flows through him into everybody's life. Absolutely. So how are you bringing that into the trial next week? Like, where are you at emotionally with that? 
I'm asking God to show me how to do that. You yeah. know? Yeah. You know, I don't know, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's like preparing your heart. Yeah. And going, God, I know there's like spirit opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's asking God to be it's his spirit to be present in that room. Mm-hmm. And for me to sense that mm-hmm. and um to sense it palpably. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how you respond to the spirit. Sorry, I feel like I'm talking really spiritual right now on your podcast. I have no idea what kind of background your listeners no, have. No, no, no. We love it. Keep going. <clears throat> the way the way I can sense the spirit is I get overcome emotionally. Yeah. And that and that probably has to do with some of my personality, you know, like I'm a I'm a wing four. Mm-hmm. And so four Enneagrams are like the emotional, you know, emotive types or whatever. But I I'm in that heart triad. And so maybe the way the Lord speaks to me or like moves me is with my emotions. Yeah. And so so you know, it's down to like, as I'm learning God's language with me, which is the thing, God has a, there's, there's a personal relationship that God wants to have with you. Mm-hmm. And as I'm learning that personal relationship, that like tug and <clears throat> that give and tug, I'm learning that he, he's going to show me his presence through emotion with, okay. you know, yeah. And, 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 and my affection, this is what's crazy. I'm sorry. I'm getting the stuff I don't normally talk about, but you're drawing it out of me right now. Go. I love it. My Go. affection for God is actually stimulated through my intellect, which is mm-hmm. crazy. The more I learn about God, the more I open up. I mean, I'm weird, like commentaries and theology and stuff. The more I learn about God, the more my affection is stirred. Yeah. But my emotions, for some reason, show me God's present right now. Yeah, yeah. This is what's super odd about is I'm learning myself and how I relate to God. And everybody has to understand that. You kind of, you can go like do spiritual pathways uh, assessments. Yep. And, you know, maybe you can put those in the show notes, but you can learn like, how do I interact with God and how does my affections get stirred with God? And so, um, you know, this is where I believe that, you know, in in John four, the Samaritan woman, right? Jesus said, true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. There's gotta Mm -hmm. be these, this, this, this dichotomy, this like dual nature of our emotion in our intellect, the truth in our heart, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what it means to walk with Jesus. So the, the, the long answer then is, is as I'm walking into the trial next week, I'm going, God, guard my mind, prepare my mind, right? Yeah. Help me to be clear headed and help me to sense you. Yeah. And then whatever comes, right, comes. Mm-hmm. I'll just yeah. kind of let it come. And and know that the Holy Spirit is there, it's present, God's walking with me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're just we're bathed in prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about Weston. So he's obviously still really young. He was a baby when this happened. Um, what does he know about Amanda? And what do you plan to <clears throat> tell him? You know, obviously, I'm yeah. sure you've spent hours thinking about this, days, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah we we kind of have a little bit of a strategy and we have had a strategy for this with him. Um, mm-hmm. Weston knows some of the facts. Okay. Right. He knows, um, you know, that he knows that obviously his, his mom, when it was, when he was really young, the language was your, your mommy's in heaven, mm-hmm. right. With Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he would say things like, "Well, I want to go to heaven, right?" Because he's his, it's hard it's hard for him to think abstract when he's fifteen months, two year oh, old, two course. years old, right? Yeah. Well, I want to go to heaven. Why can't we go there? You know. And so I would try to like help to shape his worldview and go, "Hey, buddy, we will go there, right? When we mm-hmm. follow Jesus. We're going to go to heaven one day. But until we we've got before we can go there, we've got to help as many people as possible. Mm. And when we can help, after we've helped everybody that God wants us to help, 
then we'll mm-hmm. go see mommy Amanda and we'll see Jesus in heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a very juvenile way of saying exactly what all of us should be viewing life as. Right. Yes. It's like God's given us some kind of an assignment, some kind mm-hmm. of a purpose. Mm-hmm. And when we've helped everybody that he has stewarded to us to help, mm-hmm. he'll call us home. Right. Yeah. That also helps me process the, the, like the loss of Amanda. Yeah. Absolutely. Because scripture tells me that he knew her days. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote several blog posts. You can go kind of see it on davyblackburn.com. Um, basically the title of it is how I've, uh, how, how, oh man, something about like, how, how do I deal with the way that Amanda was killed? And there yeah. were like a series of three or four blog posts that were just kind of my processing of like the, the violent nature of it, the, you of know, course. how do I process that? And I think about the loving nature of God. And so I've got all that there, but it has helped me to, to go, okay, Amanda, like part of the purpose of her life is even in her death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of us would say that's what we would want. Of course. Even to our last breath, it is, it is rung out for a purpose that is going to help other people, right? Yeah. So that helps me. It brings us out. So then Weston, you know, as we were kind of strategizing, then we'll talk probably in a second about, you know, as a new mom has come into his life. Right. Not mm-hmm. one to replace Amanda, mm-hmm. but one to, to fill in the gaps there mm-hmm. that we have been very strategic at not trying to necessarily create a lot of memories for him, mm-hmm. but to be open and sharing with him. Right? Yeah. So as we see pictures, hey, that was your mommy, Amanda, and here's a story about her and stuff like that. And here's a story. But, you know, we, we've been trying to be very careful about delineating. Often what can happen in loss, as we've worked with so many other people, widows and widowers, is that you can, you can memorialize and almost create this like legend out of the person who is, who is, who is passed. Mm-hmm. And that sets up the person who is kind of filling that space. It can set them up for failure. Absolutely. In this case, right? You know, my wife now, Christy, mm-hmm. she is the mom that Weston knows. Yeah. I mean, two, three years old, right? Yeah. She steps in and she becomes his mom. And I want him to have that connection with her. Of course. Do I want Weston to forget about Amanda? No. Right. But we are forced into this tension mm-hmm. now where we're trying to develop a healthy relationship between both mm-hmm. of those moms in his life. Yeah. And that that's not easy. Uh, no. You know, anybody who's walking through all of that, they know. I mean, absolutely. You should hear the, the conversations, the widows and widower conversations that we have that nobody shares on podcasts. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, this is tough. This is absolutely. Tough. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously I don't have a personal experience with that, but my husband's best friend um, died when his wife was pregnant. So his son never met him, but yeah, just her, you know, my friend Chelsea, who is then a widow, you know, her trying to figure out like, how do I, you know, help Aiden know like his father, Josh, you know, but also like now she's married to Nate and she, and Nate is Aiden's father. And it's the only father that he knew, but she wants Josh to still be a part of his. It's very, I don't envy that. Obviously it's hard. You yep. know, like there, it, it's not clear. It's not easy. You know, then you have three sets of families, you know, it's like your family yep. and like lots of in-law, you know, and it's yep. a lot, it's a lot right. to be aware of all of that and to do it quote unquote, right. You yep. know, what is that? So yeah, there's, um, what's funny is we tell people all the time, there's, there's, 
there's no one right way to do this. Totally. There's a thousand wrong ways to do it. Mm. Right. So, so let's find the boundary of like, let's stay out of the wrong ways to do it. And let's, let's figure out where, what's the Lord leading us to do within the right ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've kind of, you know, we know with Weston, like every season or milestone of his, of his development, as mm-hmm. he grows in age, he's going to have to process through things and he's going to have to process through it differently. Yeah. So we've just tried to be a net for him. Yeah. Just kind of catch him when he yeah. processes. You want to talk about something, buddy? You know, mm-hmm. I think this is parenting in general, right? How do you be yeah. a safe space for your kids? Mm-hmm. But then it's just exacerbated by now, how do we be a safe space for our kids in grief? Totally. And he'll probably you know? bring up stuff at like random times. Very random you know? times. And, and it's it like, seems, it seems calloused the way he brings it up. It's mm, just like really flat. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how he's, that's how a seven-year-old processes. Totally. Absolutely. Right. Now, when he's 17, he might get gripped with some kind of emotion or feel some kind of loss. Yeah. Because abstract, like his abstract, you know, conceptualization is now beginning to get intact and he's going, man, I missed out on mm-hmm. knowing her. And then totally. we'll have to be a net there to process with him. That, yeah. You know? I love that. That's so. beautiful. The, the picture of being a net. Um, I want to get to Christy in just one second, but I yeah, wanted to yeah. ask you, you know, being a pastor, mm-hmm. going through a tragedy, and it was very public, as you said, media, like the whole right. thing. Did you feel an intense pressure of like, people are watching me. <laughs> They're going to see how I react to this devastation. They're going to see what I do with my pain. So like, I better do this right. Like, I can't fall apart. You know what I mean? Like, did you feel a pressure to grieve in a certain way? Um, yes, is, would be the short answer. And still do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think to say no would be, you know, would be, it would be an absolute falsehood. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm aware of that pressure, I think. Yeah. I think that's the key is like being aware of not doing something because you feel pressured to. Mm-hmm. So this can often become my relationship with like even my own personal social media mm-hmm. is I've found myself, if I feel pressured to do something over social media, mm-hmm. to show up in a certain way for somebody, mm. and I need, to, I need to check myself. Yeah. So if someone expects me to post a certain thing on a certain day or expects me to do this, Right. If I'm doing it because I, I've, I'm expected to show up, is it going to be harmful to my soul if I do that that one time? No, probably not. Right. But if I make that my MO, mm-hmm. over time, that's going to be very harmful to my soul. So I, I wrestle with that a lot. Mm-hmm. With just that, like, I want to be, I, I want people to see, I know there's a responsibility and a stewardship. Right. Mm-hmm. I think pressure and responsibility are two totally different things. I think yeah. one can be a little bit more pejorative, like it has this negative connotation, right? Where the other one can be this, like, this, you, you feel this, like, okay, I've been stewarded something. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget six months after I, um, after I lost Amanda, I was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this woman who had, was on this Israel trip with me, she came up mm-hmm. and she said, God stewards his toughest assignments to his um, most trusted soldiers. Mm. And I don't know why, but I needed to hear that at that moment. Yeah. And she had lost her husband. Mm. Um, and, I, and I was like, okay, well, it was, 
it echoed the same thing my mom told me growing up over and over and over. Too much is given, much is required. Too much yeah. is given, much is required. My first boss, every devotion he did with us mm-hmm. at this at was had something to do with stewardship, right? So yeah. the Lord is like primed me for this idea of stewardship. So of course I yeah. feel this, I feel this responsibility mm-hmm. partially because the Lord showed up for, for me in so many ways mm-hmm. and he used so many different people to do this. Mm-hmm. The fact that our story was, I don't know why our story was so public. Right. I learned stories all the time doing what, and I'm sure you do too, doing yeah. what you do, doing what I do that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. And yet I marvel at their faith. Mm-hmm. Why did you put this? Why'd you put this mantle on me, God? Mm-hmm. So I know there's a stewardship and a responsibility there. Yeah. Where I have to like kind of bleed in public a little bit. Yeah. And so I get that. But mm-hmm. I also don't want to, sh- I don't want to perform or show up for somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. So yeah. I have to walk that tension all the time. And so yeah. there might be times where, where I go, hey, I'm just not going to do anything on social media right now because I feel this almost like, icky temptation to like show up. Totally. You know, and I just want it to be, I want it to be real. I want it to be authentic. I want you to see like, Hey, here's what we're struggling with. Here's what we're going through. Yeah. And here's the, here's the victories that we're having too, you know? Totally. I appreciate that. I think that that's really amazing that you work to keep yourself, like you said, like to check yourself to, you know, make sure you're being authentic because, you know, um, you know, being a pastor's family growing up. Yeah. When my brother died, Sure. Yeah. We felt like, okay, like everybody's watching, you know, how we respond. And there were times where that felt like a pressure and there were times where that felt like an honor. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like like God entrusted us. It's a great way of putting it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, now I'm like getting emotional, but it's like, you know, it's like, it feels like God entrusted us with this Yeah, and you know, And yeah, of course, that doesn't mean, like I said earlier, like every day is like, this is, you know, this is so great. Thanks God that you gave us this. You know what I mean? Of course not. But, um, and again, not that God gives it to us, but like you said before, allows, you know, things to happen, not that he causes them, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a paradigm. Even even as you're wrestling through like, how does God allow that? Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Elliot calls it a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause it's like, she lost two husbands, mm. one horrifically tragic, you know, murder on the mission field. Mm-hmm. Talk about someone who should have had a deal struck with God, right? Totally. Oh my gosh. Which yeah. also helps me a lot. I mean, there's this book I read by John Piper of all these missionaries that walk through tragedy. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This, um, this kind of like, this happens a lot, you know? Yeah. But she said, she called it a gift. She said, there, there is such thing as a, the gain of loss. She said, what you gain in relationship to the giver far outweighs the loss of the, of the gift. Yeah. And that for me, I had to sit and mull over that for a yeah, while wow. going, wow, that, okay, this, there, somehow every good and perfect gift comes from above is what mm-hmm. scripture tells us. So even the things that he withholds from our life mm-hmm. is a gift to us. If we can begin to see God as that kind of a father, mm-hmm. his ways are much higher than our ways. Mm-hmm. And and we and we can begin to trust him as that. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that's the goal is to go, no matter what happens in my life, I trust you, God. Yeah. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't agree with it, even if I think I could do it better. Yeah. I'm trusting your providence in my life. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, which brings me to, on a lighter note, <laughs> how did you meet Christy? 
Oh man. Well, I met her at a CrossFit gym. Hey, <laughs> such a good place to meet people. Some of our really good friends own a CrossFit gym. So they'll they? be like, woohoo. They'll be yeah. like, yeah, plug us. <laughs> yeah. CrossFit became this thing for me that I found I, I needed to do like in my healing, you know, yeah. physically, like it helped me heal physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped me channel a lot of frustration and stuff in a, yeah. in a more healthy <laughs> mode. Yeah. And so I'm doing CrossFit for several months. And then there's this girl that walks in and I'm telling you, Caitlin, like, I know this sounds cliche, but it was like, the sun was actually setting like behind her, you know? So it was like this, like, it was like this heaven, oh, you know, this like dove kind of yeah. comes out of, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, man, so, but the, you know, the thing is, I didn't know if she was a believer or not. Right. And I had been, I had been praying, Lord, if you ever bring me another wife, I want her to love you more than she loves me. Just like Amanda did. I want, she, I want her to love me. That'd be mm-hmm. nice too. I'd, I'd want her to, <laughs> want her to love Weston mm-hmm. right? yeah. as her own. And, and I want her to love Amanda. Yeah. Cause I knew that that was now embedded as so much part of my story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, she, as she were there, the CrossFit gym, and she's like stretching with a group of people. I walk mm-hmm. over and I like try to, try to, you know, move into the stretching circle, you know, mm-hmm. very nonchalantly. And they're talking about a KB concert. Okay. Which is a Christian rap artist. And I'm right. like, okay. Yes, there you go. There you Maybe go. there's a, you know, there's a chance. Maybe she loves the Lord. And uh, then she starts coming to our church, the church that I pastored. Oh my and, gosh. Um, there was, you know, several other folks that had, had come in and, um, uh, we were having a guest speaker in that a lot of people were wanting to come and see. And so mm-hmm. she came first to see that and then she kind of liked it. So she kept coming. Mm-hmm. And um, for months, I just noticed her. I'm like, mm. there's something different about this girl. Yeah. One, she had, I knew she had a story because she was coming in, um, no ring on her finger, but with a, with her daughter, mm-hmm. checking her daughter in. I'm going, so there's a past here. Right. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's a past here. And then uh, something about her just intrigued me. Like she, the way she engaged with worship, it wasn't showy. It was genuine mm-hmm. the way she engaged. I mean, she actually brought a real Bible to church mm. she, to me. I was like, she actually reads a real Bible, you know? It's yeah. Just like, Oh, I'm going to search in Google for this passage. Like, right. So I knew there was like a, maybe a history found out later. She was a pastor's kid, you know? And so, um, and then she would just take notes and then she would just kind of, she'd come in, she would serve. She served in our kids ministry. She served in our inner city ministry. Mm-hmm. She looked so put together, mm-hmm. like so poised. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there's something about this girl. Like, yeah, I got to yeah. know more. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know how to know, know more because like, right. how do you date as a pastor? <laughs> yeah. Pastor, single dad, like you, lots of yeah. stuff. Which is where I just have, I'd had to trust the the sovereignty of God, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I tried to help him out a little bit too. Um, I tried to figure out how we could get our kids to play at that's the good. specific CrossFit time. Like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, five, yeah. four o'clock, four thirty, whatever. And so I'd find out where do you bring in Natalia mm-hmm. so I can bring Weston? Cause we want them to have a buddy to play with. That's totally it. very so, smooth. But there was a, so there was one moment and you know, I know we we're probably short on time, but we, there was one moment where, I was finishing up the manuscript to my book and the, the gym owner gave me a key to come in. And so I could come in after hours because he knew I was in like a writing binge sessions and, um, and I'm coming into the gym, she's walking out. And it was like this providential moment. Mm. I hadn't, it was three months she'd come to my church. I hadn't really talked to her at all. And I'm like, Hey, 
tell me about yourself. Like you've been coming. I don't know anything about you. Yeah. Um, I say a lot of times I cornered her very pastorally, you know, <laughs> pastorally. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, just trying to get her Jesus story. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She said, if you heard, if you were talking to her, she's like, this guy was not at all subtle or discreet ah, about any of this. Right. And you're I like, thought I was, I was being so very subtle. subtle. I was yeah, so, so smooth, <laughs> so smooth, but I hadn't dated in like, you know, over 10 years. So I <laughs> guess I was a little rusty. Um, so Anyways, she starts to tell me uh, uh, her story and she told me the ugly of her story immediately because mm. she didn't really want to have anything to do with me mm. because she was really connected to our story. And mm. a lot of it too, you can listen to kind of her talk about it. We On our hundredth episode of our podcast, she shares mm-hmm. all of her story, but it was a lot of trauma that she had gone through and mm-hmm. a lot of distrust in men and a lot of like mm-hmm. distrust, even like pastors, you know, families, she grew up pastor's kid and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And so she she loved our church, but she didn't know if she wanted to have anything to do with me. <laughs> and yeah. so she tells me the ugly to try to deter me. Mm-hmm. And all I hear is that she spent some time doing missions overseas. <laughs> That's all I heard. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you love ministry. That's awesome. Check, yes. you know? Yes. And so... Um, so then I, you know, I'm like, why are you serving our inner city ministry? And she's like, well, my, my parents live in that neighborhood. This is a rough neighborhood. Kim. Mm. I'm like 40% vacancy, like lots mm. of crime murders that have happened in this neighborhood. Her, I find out later that her daughter's stroller had gotten like shot up in the back of her mom's trunk. Like Oy. her parents' house had been firebombed, like crazy. I'm like, why oh, do they live wow. there? This is yeah. crazy. She said, well, they feel like that's their ministry. Wow. I'm like, man, well. The reason we're doing this is because we're trying to intersect kids and teenagers before they step into gang-related, drug-related activity. And we don't want yeah. anything to happen to anybody else like happened, has happened to our family. Right. And, she, and I said, so we're, we're there as a church because of Amanda's story. She goes, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with Amanda's story, but probably more than what you want to know. Oh, really? <clears throat> and I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And yeah. she said, my stepdad the one who you know, lives down in that neighborhood, he is also one of the chaplains for the Marion County prison system. And he has been assigned to the three men that killed Amanda. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. So he has regular conversations with them, sharing the gospel with them. Wow. And I'm like, <sighs> what? Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, here I am, in the middle of writing the manuscript of this book, I'm asking God, God, what is the, what's the God story here? Like, yeah. how can I encourage people through this horrific thing that's happened to us? And, and I'm praying that God would bring somebody that is like, feels called to our story, right? At the time, Chris, you definitely did not feel called. But mm-hmm. in that moment, I'm like, God, you're doing something here. Mm-hmm. So I wish I could say something profound came out of my mouth in that moment. All that came out of my mouth was, do you want to go grab some dinner? <laughs> like, just... <laughs> I was like, I've got to get to the bottom of like what yeah. is going on here. Overwhelming. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, to make a long story short, I mm-hmm. continued to pursue her mm-hmm. even more so after that. Like, yeah, trying to ask her out on a date. And, you know, she finally conceded and said yes. And then, you know, we 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 fell for each other, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was at Chick-fil-A. It's the second place the great relationship. I was just going to say, I mean, obviously the Christian chicken, there's something in there. And there was just a moment where we sat down and we just opened up about our pain and Mm. she kind of shared with me her story. And it was like the first time somebody got it. Mm. You know, I felt like I was talking to somebody who understood and, um, 
we closed Chick-fil-A down that night. They're like, Aww. workers are like sweeping around us, you know. But of course like, they're smiling, right? Because it's Chick-fil-A. Right. Chick-fil-A, yeah. my pleasure. Like, no problem. You, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And our kids are coming in from that. They're exhausted. I'm in like, the play back, thing. I can play in the play place. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Aww. But it, yeah. So we started dating and, and just, it became very clear, like the Lord's putting us together for a purpose. Mm. And there's so much more involved in that, in that, in our dating process and, and all that stuff. But Christy's a PA. Yeah. And so she, she has just opened up a practice with an ER doctor and, and she does functional medicine. So she mm. helps people essentially heal physically, mm-hmm. addressing diet, nutrition, um, exercise, and kind of holistic natural methods. Mm-hmm. And, and we just feel like our calling in life now is to help people heal. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we're working on operating on two fronts. Yeah. Her on kind of the physical healing side, mm-hmm. you know, as far as what she can help with medicine and then and then also on the spiritual and emotional side. And yeah. you know, our our like life verse as God has given us is Ezekiel 47, 12, mm-hmm. um, which basically talks about the f- the fruit that comes out of the trees is mm-hmm. meant for healing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we feel like. We feel like our life now is supposed to be a tree. Mm-hmm. Planted by this stream of water, that the stream that that feeds it mm-hmm. is the, is the Holy Spirit, is the yeah. is, a, is our relationship with the Lord, and um, and then out of that, our lives would be fruit that people can can you know consume, and it can be for for their healing. So yeah, that's beautiful. Um, was she scared? I mean, obviously, we know that she was resistant, like to get into a relationship with you, but was she scared? to like go public with this with you, you know, and like that people would compare her or whatever. I mean, that's heavy. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is like, she wasn't, she's very confident in who she is. Um, You know, she's had to do a lot of work personally to, Mm -hmm. to just come to terms with like what the, the, the hand that has been dealt to her Mm -hmm. and a lot of the trauma that she's dealt with. And so she's confident in who the Lord has built her to be. Um, I think she surprisingly wasn't scared. I think she mm. thought she would be. Yeah, yeah. But the Lord had really had like empowered her. You know? Yeah. Um, now, she was scared to marry me because just everything that it involved as far as the story and the, com- I mean, complication we talked about earlier. Like, mm-hmm. here's all of this nuance that, that quote unquote normal families don't have to deal with. Of course. Now we're blending families and we're blending families even more complicated. She came from a, a divorce and yeah. death. And so it's like co-parenting and all this stuff and like trying to <clears throat> harmonize all of those things. Mm-hmm. It can be very difficult. Um, so it's just heavy. And I think oh, yeah. she knew it was going to be heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have to have her on, c- come on sometime and have I her share all of this that. stuff, Caitlin, because- she's brilliant. She's unbelievable. And she loves the Lord. And, and yet she can kind of talk through some of the nuances of the difficulties of it, you know, and I would love that. I think sometimes people perceive that pastors and people can be, you know, and maybe that they observe from far off or like superhuman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, we walk through all of the same struggles with all of this stuff. Oh yeah. We're just, we're just trying to lean into the Lord yeah, you know, that's it. Yeah. Just like everybody else, and go. Mm-hmm. God give us wisdom for how to walk through all this. So, I, yeah, I think she was expecting to be scared, but but surprisingly not scared, and yet yeah. also surprised by how heavy this this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like she was realistic about it. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. What the both of you had to sift through. 
you know, and it's beautiful that you've been able to come together and just being able to get together and have a beautiful family. I mean, is just, that's beautiful. And it speaks to just the Lord, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But only he can write stories like this. Yeah. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. And that's true for everybody, you know, like people have, we kind of call it a redemption story, right? Mm-hmm. What, we, what we call it, but mm-hmm. people have messaged me or asked me like, Hey, how did like one, how do we, how do I experience a redemption story? Like you have. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a DM that really made my heart sad the other day that someone said, I don't think that God has redemption stories for everybody. I think he just chooses some people mm. to use. And my logical argument would be, why would he do that? Right. You know, like, I think he chooses some people to use to show everybody, yeah. hey, I have a redemption story for everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody, like every, like God's MO is redemption. Mm-hmm. Wants to bring healing and restoration into your life, mm-hmm. right? I think that there's a differentiator though between the people who experience it and the people that don't. And that is that, that those people are positioned to receive it. They understand like, what does it look like to surrender to God's divine plan in my life? And for practical reasons, you know, some people are like, well, I don't like the way that this has gone. If I'm trusting in God, I think I could do this better. So they, our natural tendency is to kind of close our hands over certain things and try to mm-hmm. control certain things. And so yeah. when we control those things, then we're limiting the power of God in our life. But if we open up our lives, open up our hands and say, God, whatever you want to bring into my life, I'm, I surrender to you. Yeah, yeah. I trust you with this. Mm-hmm. And God's able to move freely to write those redemption stories in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be way better than you could ever write it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, I have nothing against online dating or anything like that. I think it's great. Like I have great friends who have beautiful stories through online dating. Right. For me, it was like, I, I'm just going to let God bring this person into my life. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's going to choose somebody way better than I could like swipe right or left. I don't trust my judgment on that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's those kinds of like men, those mindsets that I think totally. really, it's like, what does it look like to trust the Lord? Yeah, absolutely. You know, lean not on your own understanding, as Proverbs says, but in all your mm-hmm. ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that's beautiful. I just, listen, we will be praying for you as you walk into next week. You know, I mean, by the time this airs, I guess it'll be past. So, um, you know, just praying for you and going into the trial. Um, I just, I can't thank you enough. And I also would love to, you know, connect with your wife at some point. But before I let you go, tell us quickly about Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Yeah. Well, at nothingiswasted.com, you can find everything that you would you know, want to learn about Nothing is Wasted Ministries. But basically, we provide content, community, and coaching mm-hmm. for people who are walking through some kind of tragedy, trauma, or major life transition. Amazing. So we've got all kinds of content, products, and services, and things. We have 35 coaches Amazing. spread all over the, the, the world now uh-huh. who can coach you specifically in that, in that area that mm. you're walking. Like, so if you have lost a child, we have coaches who have lost children mm. coach you in that. If you like, you know, Rachel Henry that just yeah. released today, if you have experienced sexual assault, we have coaches yeah. who have experienced that, who can coach you through that. And so mm-hmm. you do it all through our pain to purpose pathway, which is kind of the signature course that we provide mm-hmm. pain to purpose. If you want to just kind of get started in the journey, mm-hmm. if you can just write where you are. You can text your this number, text um, N-I-W, N-I-W mm-hmm. to the number 66866. 
Perfect. We'll put that That's in the show notes. NIW, like nothing is wasted to yep. 66866. What that will do is it will send you 21 days of devotions over 21 days. Just, Amazing. And okay. that just kind of gets you like started in the process. Gets mm-hmm. you a little bit inspired as you start to kind of learn more about what it looks like to position yourself for a redemption story. That's amazing. And then obviously you also have a podcast, Nothing is Wasted Nothing podcast. is Wasted podcast. Yep. Every Thursday we release episodes. Amazing. And it's just other people's stories. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, Davey, I cannot thank you enough. I could keep you here for another hour. Like I have so <laughs> many other so things. It's so fun. It's enjoyable talking. You're a great interviewer. Th- uh, interviewer. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've loved talking to you for real. Your story is beautiful. I, everything you said. I mean, again, this is a hard story. This is yeah. hard to listen to. I felt emotional, but at the same time, I'm ending this feeling uplifted, mm, you know? And so I just, I appreciate that so much. I appreciate your faith and just your story. And this, we thank you so much. Thank you, Caitlin. It's been an honor. Hey guys, I just wanted to pop on and give a quick update. So in this episode, Davey mentioned how he was about to go into a trial for one of the three men that were involved in the killing of his wife, Amanda. Um, So I just wanted to give you an update on what's going on with that case. Unfortunately, on the day of jury selection, the judge had to declare a mistrial because there were issues with the jury. Um, So basically they're kind of having to start over from what I understand and pick a new jury and things like that. So that's obviously frustrating to deal with yet another setback. You know, this has obviously been going on for years. So obviously keep Davey and his family in your prayers. Um, And if you want to stay updated on this case, then I would suggest following Davey on Instagram um, at Davey Blackburn because he usually posts um, updates there. And I'll try and link it on my social media and things like that. I'll also put all of his information in the show notes of this episode. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.